The Rewindables, the one you take to bed with you. One night, Billy was watching his favorite TV hero. And right in the middle of a fight, G-Man Jim ran out of ammunition. Jim, Billy's got the answer. It's the new Mattel Firebolt gun. It never runs out of ammunition. Show him how it works, Billy. Just drop in a perforated roll of 50 caps. Pull back the bolt and fire a smoking person. Or flip the switch, pull back the bolt and fire it with vibrasonic sound. It can fire forever that way. You see, it's really two guns in one. It fires caps with real smoking action. Or you can switch to vibrasonic sound. It's the big two-way gun with moving firebolt action and air-cooled smoking barrel. G-Man Jim will never run out of ammunition again. Not with the Mattel Firebolt two-way gun. Neither will you. Try it. Get it wherever toys are sold. Only $6. You can tell it's Mattel. It's swell. You gotta slow down, Chris. You gotta slow way down. Did you say your name is Jim or Jim? Uh, well, it's both, actually. Um, teachers, when we're growing up, you know, they used to always say, hey, you can have this one. He's a real gem. Well, good morning from Calcutta. You get the slow way down. Four black. Women. Ain't they perfect? Not always. Yes, they are. They're perfect. Don't matter if they're skinny, fat, blonde, or blue. If a woman is willing to give you her love, honor, it's the greatest gift in the world. Makes you tall, makes you smart, makes you teeth shine. Boy, oh boy, women are perfect. My choice for the vice presidency. If you're ever lonely watching television, your troubles may soon be over. That's because finally there's a TV that talks back to you. Kind of. Interactive TV doesn't really speak, but there is a whole lot more give and take than with your average two. You have to be willing to rewatch a movie. So we've been in the sky here with Cliff. We see the title card, Los Angeles, 1938. And then, guys, we are smash cutting mm. to a man. An incredible interruption of that idyllic, yes. beautiful... You know, stirring a, a scene. A man named Lenny shooting a Tommy gun out of the back of a car being chased through this desert prairie land mm-hmm. by a police vehicle with these blaring sirens. And the police vehicle is being also chased by a third car, yep. and it is unclear as of yet whose side the third car is on. Yes. We're going to go at a lot of different places here, but I want to begin here, Ben. My first by shouting out is... local law enforcement, okay? Yeah. They're the first <laughs> line of defense against the bad guys. Did you know that Fred uh, spent a good deal of his life honoring a profession that has gone largely unsung around here? Some of those boys are here tonight. The profession, of course, is law enforcement. I know Fred feels this way, that too often our feelings are locked in and we feel restrained and perhaps even embarrassed to actually reach out and touch an officer of the law. After all, they are people, aren't they? So why not stand up and pat them on the back? Go ahead, reach out. Go ahead, shake hands with any one of the guys you see here, these men in blue. Hug a cop. Yeah, go ahead. I said it. Yeah, that's a wonderful feeling. I am so proud tonight. Fred is a... Oh, say can you so hug a cop my first thought is my goodness 
the Tommy gun, <laughs> this. That's a terrifying tool. Yeah. And this brings me right back to my childhood obsession with Dick Tracy. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, big time. He tests, but he won't bring her out of there. We got to go in. Go in. Give me that time against him. You bring your... Obviously, also like just I should say like I I have three brothers grew up in a house of all boys. There were a lot of toy guns mm-hmm. around, yeah, because that's just what boys got. Shocking to number with, of like, toys that I was raising. Some fun when Snubby Gun plays Private Eye, and you can have the same kind of fun with Mattel's Tommy Burst Detective Set. The Tommy Burst has automatic bolt action. Fire off a burst of ten shots. Pull the bolt again, you're reloaded. Or fire single shots like a rifle. But Tommy Burst alone is $3. In the detective set, you also get the Snub Nose 38 and Snap Draw Shoulder Holster. The pistol fires greeny stick'em caps and shoots safe shooting shells. The exciting new Tommy Burst detective set includes wallet, badge, and ID card. $7 wherever toys are sold. You can tell it's Mattel. It's swell. Girls got dolls, boys got guns, and yep. that's how. That's just how it was. And there uh, were no problems from that at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was it, it, it was great. Yeah. Everything, yeah, worked out great. But yeah, safe to say, um, the guys in the lead car being chased. And folks, are... it's not just a lead car; it's a 1934 Ford V8. Meet Bill Brennan, who can put the car through its paces without breaking any traffic laws. Bill knows a lot about automobiles. He likes to test out their speed and power. And in this case, it's lucky for Bill on the slippery road that he has those new Ford brakes. Whoops, says Bill. That was a close shave. Now I think I'll open it up and get a line on speed. Oh, the traffic cop. Where do you think you're going, to a fire? Bill answered yes, and the cop had to believe him. That's the beauty of being a fireman. Here's the comfortable back seat. And the front seats are four to five and one half inches wider. Every modern convenience is provided for the driver. And in summer, you will be glad the windshield's open. Originally called the Model 40, baby. Thank you. It is period specific, 1938. Well, this car came out in 1934. The L.A. police cruisers, a 1937 Dodge Touring Sedan. Yeah. It is safe to say these guys in in this vehicle are are mobsters or they're members of some sort of gang whatever it is they, they, this is no you don't just have a Tommy no, gun you shooting do. out of you the don't. back of a car yeah. you're not like some sort of serious crime boss yeah yeah these people have no respect for law um 
And uh, yeah, it's very upsetting. No, if you're if you're firing a Tommy gun at a police cruiser that's like four feet away from the back of your car, yes, you are uh, a gangster. That in in this scene, you're just like they just robbed a bank. Like yeah. that's my I got Bonnie and Clyde feeling. Bonnie and Clyde all the way, yep. all the way. I just uh, you know, this is something that um, evokes something huge just happened. Why else would two cars be chasing this crook, and why would they be defending it with? the most powerful gun of that time, the time. Yeah. Now we cut to inside the, the car being chased. Again, sorry, Christian, the model of the car is what? Uh, the car that's being chased is a 1934 Ford V8, also known as the Model 40, and it's being chased by two different versions of the 1937 Dodge Touring sedan. One's a four-seater, one's a five-seater. Inside the car, we see a man clutching a box that says for authorized personnel only. Mm-hmm. So this is clearly the center of the conflict. Yeah. Yes. These gangsters are being chased. It's called they the MacGuffin, have, folks. They have a box. <laughs> they have a top secret box that they're clearly not supposed to have. The cops want it back. And then there's this other car. They seem to want it too. And everyone wants this box. And they're they're chasing these mobsters through, through the desert shooting guns. Mm-hmm. Well, here's an interesting thing. I think you've raised an interesting argument that I didn't even think about. A MacGuffin in cinema terms is typically an item that is created to drum up some kind of stakes, and it really has no actual meaning. That's true. Right now, it's a MacGuffin, obviously. Right now, it's a MacGuffin. But I would argue like the reason this works is it's not a MacGuffin. Yeah. A lot of modern films are chasing this thing that whether they get it or not, doesn't actually matter. There's no real stakes to if they get it. And right now, yeah, MacGuffin, but I don't actually think it's a MacGuffin. I think it's actually like <laughs> the stakes of this item become very real. Yeah. And I think that's we why very I quickly it. find out. Yeah. It's not just this some... ain't just a briefcase full of something that's important. It's yeah. more than just this random who cares if it gets Cliff to the next setting. Cool. No, it's actually like the thing they're fighting over has actual consequences of life or death. Yeah. And uh, we don't know why yet. Tarantino, if you had any balls at all, you would have shown us what was in the fucking briefcase, okay? That's one of my things. Whether or not the audience knows about it, I know about the character's past, and I just want the actors to know. Now, the audience doesn't need to know. Like, for instance, Brad Pitt's character, Aldo Aldo Rain, has a a rope burn. Exactly. Around his neck. My name is Lieutenant Aldo Rain. And I'm putting together a special team. But I never wanted to explain what happened. I desperately wanted to know. Well, I want to just figure it out, all right? I mean, it's it's up to you to to supply where that rope burn came from. I like the idea that, okay, if if you contemplate why there is a rope burn there, and somebody else contemplates why there is a rope burn there, and somebody else contemplates it, and three different people come up with three different uh, reasons why he got a rope burn, those are three different movies you all saw. And I like that idea. I like the idea that you opened up the briefcase in Pulp Fiction, and I don't tell you what's in there we have but it's up to you to figure out what's in there and now that's your movie and you'll make that decision somewhere down the line now if i tell you at this table what it is then you'll throw that away and i don't want you to throw away that's your movie what was in the briefcase and was it a (laughs) jetpack yes we'll find out later in this film and never in tarantino's movie uh, pulp fiction Um, So we mentioned the mobsters are being chased by the police, but then there's a third car, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Mm. There's a conversation happening in that car. Hey, Fitz, you're trying to save on ammo? Nail them! I can't get a clean shot. I wish that black and white would get out of the way. 
One of the gentlemen says, I can't get a clean shot. Fitch says, I can't get a clean shot. We don't know his name yet, but one yeah. of the gentlemen says- the passenger seat. Yes, well, one of them says, hey, Fitch, you trying to save on ammo? So you're like, you kind of are, not, I agree. You don't know if this is like another gangster that like, are they shooting I love at the it. cop car? I love how unclear it is in the beginning. You're like, right, who are they Who are they shooting at? Are they, yeah, it's, it's, says, it's very I, vague. But then he says, I wish that black and white would get out of the way. Yeah, get I can't get a clean way. shot. I wish this black and white would, uh, would get out of the way. Which so, means you kind of know, okay, it's not a criminal because he's not trying. He's not trying to shoot the cop car. He's right. angry. He's trying to shoot car, the gangsters. He's angry the cop car's in the way. So you know it's not the police because the you're like- The police car is obstructing their view and yes. ability to aim and hit the mobsters. Right. So it could be a third mobster. You're not sure. It could be a rival right. mobster. Maybe some, some sort know. of rival gang or mm-hmm. something. Yes. So suddenly the police car has its tire shot and the car swerves off the path. Yes. And now the mobsters with the top secret box are being pursued by these fedora-wearing gunmen- the, again, these guys are driving cars that, you know, Christian, it looks like Al Capone, you know, yes. something Al Capone would be in. These these round-bodied four-door sedans. And uh, may I just say, there is a moment where, I mean, again, this is an impeccably designed car chase. It rivals the French connection to me. Tiny cars that are having an incredible car chase on a dirt road. Bullets are flying, glass is shattering, cop cars are crashing, and then at uh, specifically uh, five thirteen, a bullet shoots through the window, uh, the back window of the crook car, and a bullet hits the the newsy cap off the top of the head of the driver. Careful what you wish for. I just think like what a cool little touch yeah. of how yeah. tense this whole sequence is. We love movies, folks. Yeah, love they're movies. so good. And this is such a good one because the it's not like it's it's an incredibly tense and and gripping and uh and bracing action sequence, but it's not like super frenetically cut. You you no. it's very clear um you know the 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 kind of geography uh, and choreography of everything that's happening. Um, you know, you, you know exactly like sort of who the, um, you know, once you establish, you know, that there's, it's kind of, you know, whatever vague in the beginning, but then once you establish like who's, who's chasing who, you know, you're never like, wait, who, which car is that? It like cuts back and forth in a very logical way. Um, just wanted to shout out the, uh, the FBI, well, we don't know yet, but the, uh, the, the guy, um, riding shotgun and, and, and firing the firearm in the, trailing uh, third car is uh, is played by the great Ed Lauder. You are a very talented man. I've seen you in so many things. And this year, the artist, this is the movie everybody's talking about. Well, you know, if you stay in this business long enough, you run that merry-go-round, that ring comes by and you catch it, you know? And uh, I don't have to tell you how many actors there are. And I'm very fortunate and very lucky and very happy to be associated with this film because everybody loves this film. Uh, just another just fucking classic character actor uh, from so many, so many films and TV shows that you've seen. Also was a stand-up comedian at one point in his career, which I did not uh, realize. 
Um, but he was in everything from um, The Longest Yard, uh, King Kong, Death Wish 3, uh, to The Artist uh, in 2011. He was in Cujo. Um, he was in um, just a million things. Yeah, like every 80s TV show, Miami Vice, A-Team, um, Magnum P.I. Uh, he did it all, folks. Um, and every time you see him, you're like, oh, yeah, that guy. Uh, I love him. And then the guy whose uh, hat gets shot off uh, in the lead gangster car is played by, uh, that's uh, that's Wilmer. Uh, we're going to get to know Wilmer pretty well uh, shortly. Um, but he's played by another great character actor named uh, Max Grodenchik. Grodenchik, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Um, and uh, yeah, he played, uh, he was from uh, Star Trek. DS9 was was like his main kind of uh, uh, credit, I suppose. People, uh, a lot of people ask how long the makeup took. And, and, and that, make, I, that makes sense. Uh, they, ask, uh, they ask my favorite episodes. Uh, what, what they wanted to? They asked me what it was like to be on the show. Was that? Was it? What, did I enjoy? They asked me if I enjoyed it, being on the show. And uh, there was there's so much involved in it. There was so much to enjoy. I wasn't just doing a, a, a something I like to watch. <laughs> yeah, it was being part of a family of actors who put this thing together. And the cast and crew is a family. And usually when you're in uh, usually when you're in Hollywood, you, you especially uh, well when I started out. You work on, a, you know, you're a guest star on, a, like, Night Court, you know, and you work with those guys for one week. Then you go, you know, uh, six weeks later, you go work on something else for, for one week. And you're always a guest, and you really, you can't get comfortable enough because you don't want to step on anybody's toes. But on my show, on my show, <laughs> on DS9, it, it, was like, it was like my family, you know, so I... I I didn't have to worry that I was saying the wrong thing or stepping on somebody stepping on somebody's toes if that makes sense. That lovely planet riser I simply can't embrace. The glory that is Kronos it's mostly for the Klingon race. But my station in deep space is sadly much too far away I miss the promenade And the busy cargo bays I left my quark And Captain Cisco Nearby a trill They call to me But Deep Space Nine is rather far I'm stuck on Ferenginar Where it never rains, no, no It only pours Miss those Dominion Wars I miss Doc Bashir Constable Odo Major Kira In the operations team I wish I could be Beam on the way home Home to Quark and Captain Cisco To DS9 My dream.
love these. Just love these names. Love these guys. Love naming guys. It's the best. They they are racing, have a gun, a gun chase. And again, like I think really minor detail. I, I've seen this movie many times and I didn't notice it until I was thinking about it in this way. Uh, the car's police cruiser crashes into a ditch. And now we just have the, now we see, hey. One on one. One on one. We have a cop car or we have the uh, crook's car. Firing a Tommy gun now at the green 1937 Dodge Touring Stan that we don't know if it's a rival gangster. We don't know who it is. And there's a moment at five minutes and 19 seconds where the car, the two cars are barreling down a road and there's another just pedestrian car that's in the way and they are swerving to like basically avoid a near fatality because arguably none of these have, well, not arguably, none of these cars have seatbelts. So they crash. Yeah. There are <laughs> no airbags in 1938. There's no airbags, folks. Yeah. Um, and in the background, I think this is interesting. Uh, we I love see, this. We see a sign. I love this. Christian. A red says, sign? <laughs> it says, no, it says Encino, Encino and Van Nuys. Van Nuys. Which yeah. means if you look at a map, if you want to actually know where we are located, where is this airstrip? Where are we? That literally means that we are somewhere in the Sepulveda Basin of Los Angeles. This means that they are basically driving uh, along what may be a version of the 101 before the 101 highway existed. This is where this is on the map. If you look at the map, Van Nuys and Encino is in the western side of uh, the valley. Uh, To the east is Burbank and Glendale. To the west is where you're going to start getting out to Thousand Oaks and all the other areas in that area. But right now they're driving in a basically the Sherman Oaks uh, Sepulveda Basin region. Um, I think that's if you're in L.A., dweeb, that's fascinating. Amazing. Yeah. What would be like a massive like four lane wide like highway sign? It's like a little dusty white sign that just says Encino with an arrow and then Van Nuys with an arrow pointing the other way. Let's give our audience some modern reference points here. So sure. Christian, we are we're near Tarzana. This is Yeah, what what does this mean? I mean, if you're in Los Angeles like the Getty? The, 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 we're you're not, just north of the Getty, the Getty Museum, just, which is a very famous. You're basically, uh, again, like the the valley has become a place that's largely uh, still suburban sprawl. It's an urban suburban sprawl in Los Angeles. And the valley has become home to a lot of people that are, you know, more residential. And so like the the stuff you're going to find up in this region is far less uh the big like Chinese Grauman theater. The, there's things that you're going to see throughout this film, like the Griffith observatory. These are things that are actually in the film. Um, but just so people understand the Hollywood Hills and the Hollywood land sign would be South of this region. Like you would not be able to from if you, these people in the car looked up into the mountains, they would not be able to actually see the Hollywood land sign because it would be on the South side of the mountain. Uh, this is also one day regions of this becomes uh, a little bit less on this side of things, but it goes towards, uh, you know, Malibu, um, yep. like Calabasas, Calabasas is far to the left. Like if one day the Kardashians would ruin our society just west of this region, uh, Will Smith, the Paramount Ranch, the Paramount Ranch. Far. Yes. And it, of course, uh, if you if you'd like to see uh, what the what the region looked like, um, you know, uh, closer to the time period that this film was actually made in 1991 or 1992, you could watch the film Encino Man, starring Pauly Shore and Brendan Fraser. Yes, Mr. Morgan, if 
your edge because I'm wheezing on your grind. It's just chill. Because if I had the whole Brady Bunch thing happen at my pad, I'd go grind over there. So don't tax my gig so hardcore, Cruster. English, they only speak English. Dad! And just east, you might find a man at 9.31 p.m. recording a podcast about, about 1991's Rocketeer. Just east of this region. Uh, where this film takes place. But yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, again, like, I think it's interesting just LA history of like, okay, this car chase is happening along arguably the original foundation of the most important highway in this area. It's crazy. Yeah, and it's a tiny dirt road. Tiny dirt road. And yeah. uh, Wilmer is now flying off the road, drives across uh, what appears to be just basically a bean, a bean field, I believe. Bean like, a, you know, yeah. Yeah. That was the, I think that was the, the crop that uh, definitely PV mentions Beanfield, and I think that was the, the most of the, the times they're, they're running over dirt fields, I believe those are Beanfields. And boy, oh boy, do we start to get uh, a real great edit of three different storylines start to get really cut together beautifully. Mm-hmm. This gun scene is happening. The cars are racing across the Beanfield that's not growing yet. And who flies overhead but Cliff Sequel? And there's a beautiful shot of the cockpit view looking down on this gun battle. Uh, and Cliff is just like basically straight up curious as to what's going on. And you better believe uh, Lenny in the trunk thinks it's probably the cops coming for him. Because again, he's concerned about what's in the briefcase. And he starts opening fire and there's just shell casings flying everywhere. Yeah. And just torpedoes Cliff's beautiful gb not a bg we're not he's, he's trying to stay alive up there folks. stop it stop he's it. trying to stay alive but he's in a gb that's just been shot oh my god yeah no it's actually amazing because the first couple times i watched this film i was like the one thing that doesn't really add up for me is like this gangster sees a plane and just decides to randomly shoot at it like that seems like a very rash and you know ill Ill, Ill conceived uh you know, maneuver, but I guess it does make sense. Like he's being pursued, and when you realize the stakes of the of the piece of cargo that they're carrying, he's like, I don't fucking know. Like they could have, like this could be like some, you know, secret atomic bomb or whatever. Like whatever that didn't exist in 1938, but like you know, some incredible you know space age weapon or something like that. Like I don't know who's trying to get this thing. Like he, and he sees a plane overhead. Of course, he's going to assume that it's pursuing him. Uh, yeah, like, if, if, what are the odds that they would just randomly, you know, come across some some you know pilot doing a, a test run? To be fair, also Cliff is cutting it kind of low. Like mm-hmm. he's coming in. That's you know, true. He's coming, he's coming in, in pretty hot. Yep, so, yep. so Lenny in the in the back there with the Tommy gun is like, I I got to get this guy off my tail. And maybe also he's thinking like, I don't know, maybe I'll shoot down this plane and it will crash into these guys. You know, it'll crash into these guys chasing us. Or mm-hmm. Also, let mm-hmm. me just say, if you're a guy in the trunk of a car with a Tommy gun. Tell me you aren't shooting everything that's coming <laughs> Yeah, you that might point. as well. You're, you're not yeah, like thinking, like, oh, maybe yeah. I should let, the, yeah, you're just like, that's you like shoot anything that moves. Gun. Yeah, It's extremely <laughs> yes. bouncy, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they're flying through a cornfield. He's just firing in any direction, hoping to hit anything. Yeah. yeah.
So Cliff's plane is suddenly the body of the plane is suddenly punctured. Yeah, it's and, ventilated. And the plane, the plane's engine is now sputtering out. It's leaking oil. Yeah, it's we got a major oil leak here. Not good. We're in Not for good. A cr- we're in for a crash landing. It's inevitable. The windshield is now covered in this black oil that from the engine. Thick gooey oil splattered all over the canopy. Yes. And Cliff, Cliff can't. Cliff, he can't see. He can't, can't see. see. No. He 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 punches through the glass so he can see. And this car chase heads into the woods. Yes. And um, boy, oh boy, Cliff is in trouble here up in the sky. And uh, yeah, the car chase heads into the woods. It's it's very rocky. This is the third car in a month. Hoover's gonna be spitting nails. Ah, the heck with Hoover. Fitch says this is the third car. This is the third car in a month. Hoover's gonna be spitting nails. Which, of course, is a reference to J. Edgar Hoover, uh, the final director of the Bureau of Investigation, BOI, and the first director of the then brand new Federal Bureau of Investigation. Hoover's initial vision for the FBI was a white collar organization that primarily pushed paper and focused on forensics. A bullet fired into cotton bears telltale gun barrel markings, the fingerprints of the weapon. Which Walter Cronkite helped to show us in this 1958 CBS special, The Story of the FBI. A speck of paint taken from a bumper reveals the make, year, and model of a car involved in a crime. But violence eventually led FBI agents to respond in kind. From mafia battles, to rooting out enemies at home during World War II, to navigating the civil rights movement, J. Edgar Hoover had his hand in all of it. President Calvin Calvin Coolidge first appointed Hoover as director of the BOI, the predecessor to the FBI in 1924, um, which is crazy because I believe that Hoover was like 28 years old at the time Very or young. something like that. <laughs> Ridiculous yeah. uh, to, to be that age. Uh, after 11 years in that post, Hoover became instrumental in founding the FBI in June of 1935, where he remained as director for an additional 37 years until his death in May 1972, serving a total of 48 years in the position of head of the BOI slash FBI under eight different presidents. So, and here's the thing. We could absolutely, and I know we're, we want to probably talk about J. Edgar Hoover forever. However, yeah. this, this, this sequence is awesome and we should get yes, to that yes. too. Sorry. I will, yeah. I will throw, no, no, this is important because I have copious notes on J. Edgar Hoover. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. Is this about to become a J. Edgar Hoover podcast? Let's let's it could. get some let's get some important beats out there. I think like what Fitch and Willie are saying here, which is Fitch is like, this is the third card a month. Hoover's gonna be spitting nails, and Willie goes, the heck with Hoover. Now, mm. what's relevant to the movie is uh Hoover actually had a it was a piece of shit and had a lot of tendencies that were quite bad. Hmm. Most impressive, arguably not a great guy. Not a great guy. Uh, he <laughs> fired all female agents and banned the future of hiring of them. So he's a piece hmm. of shit. And okay. also uh, more relevant to these two gentlemen is that Hoover had a real tendency to relocate agents who displeased him on career ending assignments and locations. He did this to multiple people throughout his career. Anyone that he felt was in his way, he would basically send them to shitty regions to finish out their career. So these two guys are basically like, this is the third car we've destroyed. Mm. Hoover is going to be pissed and Willie's just like cavalier about it. He's like, ah, I'm sure it'll work out. And um, the reality is, is based on history. 
it didn't necessarily work out for you. And I think that is the, as we continue with this car chase, and I'm sure we're going to talk about Hoover a lot on this podcast, but I think, <laughs> God I willing, think, like, yes, um, <laughs> God, I already know we're going to. So like, let's, let's the gesture that Chris just made. I really wish you guys could see. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a mix of, of resignation, like I'm not even gonna bother to fight this, and no, and then and now and now just sort of a a a deep like uh, despair. It's a man, yeah. staring at an avalanche, <laughs> yes. just saying a giant I mountain. We're coming to you directly from the Kootenai Pass in British Columbia, hoping to catch a live avalanche on camera. And again, like I had like so many facts on Hoover that are relevant, but not to this moment. So I have like many I, that are irrelevant as well. If you'd yeah. like those, so let's let's keep going with the car chase because this. Scene okay. rips and it's so good. Yes, and it like, does. All right, boom. Now the the we now know that because they've just mentioned that Hoover is going to be spitting nails. We finally understand these aren't criminals. These are feds. They're G men. They're G men. There, this is the BOI at this point. I don't even know if this is the FBI. No, it is the F- FBI. Okay, was uh, FBI. was nineteen thirty five. Formed so, in June thirty five. So, so three years later, G men. These are true G men, yeah. and the reason why they hated the cops is because. The feds in general thought the cop, cops were inept idiots. Fucking amateur hour. Fucking These amateurs. local yokels don't know yes. their fucking ass from a hole in the ground. All right. So they go flying into the woods and, and make this dig at, uh, you know, Hoover. And we're now getting more information. Again, very subtle. We now see Cliff's plane sputtering all over the goddamn valley. There's oil. He punches out a hole to make any level of eyesight. <sighs> fucking oil. what a... Gangster move. Gangster just be move. like, just I can't see. I'm going to have to smash this glass with my fist. And ladies and gentlemen, yet again, I'm going to remind you that the first 10 minutes of this movie are perfect because it introduces you to absolutely everything without mm-hmm. beating you over the head with it. What does Cliff fly over, Ben, at minute On- six and three? Believable. Wait, so first we see, eventually we'll see what he flies over, but first we get Cliff's perspective for like literally less than a second. It's like, I'm counting right now, it's like 15 frames or something like that, like half (laughs) a second. We see a, a camera shot through the hole that Cliff has just punched, covered in black oil. Uh, you know, the, the edges of it covered in, in the black oil, but just barely through the hole. And it's kind of hazy and hard to make out because Cliff also has oil on his goggles at this point. But we can just barely see what looks like a giant yellow biplane heading straight for Cliff in yes. a head-on collision. This is a disaster. But after this like half of a second of that perspective, it cuts to a wider shot where we see the GB just barely... Just by like the 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 inch of a thread of a hair or whatever, barely squeak past a billboard that has an actual mechanical uh, propeller uh, moving on a, a yellow biplane, uh, and it is a billboard for a film, Neville Sinclair in Wings of Honor. It is a classic 1930s Hollywood style billboard. With a male uh, protagonist kissing a you know female uh, damsel, with uh, you know spotlights in the background and this you know kind of like uh, city silhou- uh, silhouette, building silhouette in the background. It's very striking, and the font is very cool. Wings of Honor, and then it says produced by Lawrence Franco, 
which I have to imagine is a reference to actual producer of the film, Larry Franco. Of the Rocketeer. Um, of the Rocketeer. Yes. Yep. Uh, Rocketeer. Larry Franco is one of the co-producers. Um, and then it says directed by, and this is a name that for the life of me, I have not been able to Same. figure out the con- I can't uh, province out the context. of Volmar Fidge or Fidgey. Uh, Volmar, V-O-L-M-A-R, Fidge, F-I-D-G-G-E. A very distinctive and memorable name. And I'm like, well, surely there must be some clue somewhere on the internet. I searched Google. I searched Twitter. I searched fucking everywhere. Uh, My local library. There's no Volmar Fidge that I could dig up Um, at some point. If I can find an answer to that question, I'll probably be able to, you know, rest in peace. Um, But... um, but yeah, uh, the the most important thing here is that the title of the film is Wings of Honor, and it stars a fictional actor named Neville Sinclair. Yes. Um, and Wings of Honor uh, is not a real movie, um, but it is definitely a reference to you know an amalgamation of of different films around that time. I think in a previous episode I mentioned the uh, 1927 film Wings a silent film about World War I combat pilots in a romantic rivalry over a woman. Uh, you may remember Wings as the very first movie to win the Academy Award for Best Picture, then called the Academy Award for Outstanding Picture at the first Academy Award ceremony held on May 16, 1929. Um, however, there was also another movie that I dug up uh, that Wings of Honor might have been referencing from the year 1938. It was called The Dawn Patrol, and it was a war film about World War I fighter pilots starring a one Errol Flynn. This was the immortal Royal Air Force, whose gallantry thunders across the pages of history. Young warbirds, gloriously reckless, taking off in rickety ships to challenge the enemy veterans of the skies. Very, a very important name that as we get deeper into the madness that is yes. this podcast. <laughs> oh boy, you are going to hear As we descend deeper, deeper, we are now the inside the mountain of madness. There is no doubt in my mind and in my heart that Sergeant Slaughter will do nothing more than grant and come through with every promise that he has acknowledged toward the kingdom of the madness. It's going to be a long winter and folks yes not, not only is the name errol flynn very important for your ears over the next 18 months the, what actually matters is yet again this film has introduced us to another important character without beating us over the head with it neville yeah. sinclair is you, a, if you blinked uh, and you would you'd miss it but in fact if, i blinked for apparently 30 years yeah <laughs> i don't think i i don't think i caught this until literally just this nope. viewing and i was yeah. like oh my god that is brilliant how they yeah. introduce yet another character that is important to the film yeah like the cutting edge i think this movie is a very satisfying one to rewatch because you realize when you look at it frame by frame as slowly as we do that man, the filmmakers, the writer, the director, the producer, they really took care of the audience in ways that we completely took for granted and didn't even appreciate the first 10 times we watched the movie. Yeah. But like when you really slow it down, you're like, wow, they covered all of their bases. They made sure everything was airtight. Yeah. Yep. And I think this, uh, again, 
car chase. I want. I don't want to lose the momentum of what is so yes, awesome yes. about the sequence. Boom! Cliff crashing, oil spraying. He's punched it yeah. out. We've he's frantically wiping the oil off his goggles now. He's, and like, he's then like, we cut back to thanks to Arthur Schmidt's incredible uh, editing. Um, we cut back to the gunfight in the cars. It's still going, and now we have uh, Fitch basically leaning over Wooly. Yeah, you should never <laughs> like, do that, guys. Like a dog who found a sniff scent out the left. <laughs> like like there's like an ice cream truck or like a hot dog truck nearby. <laughs> it's crawling. He's crawling in his lap, but he's firing a gun. <laughs> yeah. Wildly. There he is. Get out of the way. I can't Keep see Get off me. Quit moving. You're ruining my shot. If you're firing a gun from a moving vehicle, you can't reach over the driver. That is a huge no-no. No. The huge no-no. What you got to do is, uh, if I'm recklessly shooting a gun at crooks while driving through the woods of Los Angeles, I put my, I, I lean out the car, put my butt on the edge of the open window. Yeah, and you got to over the top. Gotta get up high, three hundred and sixty degree range of motion. You now, can't be, be leaning fair, over your partner's lap. They are driving through the woods, not on a street. And like already streets is a real iffy term in 1938. They are basically like a step above, like just driving over a rocky minefield. Uh, And then they go off, off road. And now we got Fitch firing a gun. And the Willie's like, what are you doing, you idiot? And he's like, I got to get the shot. Like, and now we know whatever the hell is in that briefcase is so important. important. It's yeah. so important that I, as the viewer, I'm like, what the hell's in that briefcase? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these aren't standard FBI practices, I don't think. This is this is a special case. Dude, and this car chase rips. I just want to say, this car chase through the woods is like yeah, it does. cutting back and forth. And uh, eventually, um, the, the Fed's car barrels just straight into two cars, which again, probably 1938. Two trees, two trees. Two trees, two trees. yeah, I'm sorry, two yeah, trees. Yeah. And honestly, you know, I'll suspend my disbelief because probably at least one body be going through the glass. But no, mm. luckily, luckily, it seems like it kind of wedges. It's not it's not yeah. a full on, you know, it's a wedge. Blood force into the it's it's kind of wedged in between two, but jammed beautifully. The grill gets all mangled and fucked up. And the so you know, at this point, the crooks are like, we have got a clean getaway, but they don't because there's basically a horse uh, field in which there's an actual nice wooden fence, and bam, their 1934 Ford V8 smashes through it. And mm. I, as a kid, am so in at this yeah. point, being like, this movie is the greatest. <laughs> Everything I've seen is awesome. This and, gangster uh, car blows through that fence like no, it's nothing. Explodes, yeah. just like, yeah. a, you know, just an absolute explosion of And then bounces timber. over the ditch. Yeah, again, we're driving now on just, you know, dirt and hay and... Ooh, baby, and where are they heading, Ben? Where are they heading, Chris? So we got the mobsters going full tilt. They squeal into the airplane hangar. You know, they're running for dear life as Cliff's plane is teetering. You know, it's it's going to crash any second now. It's careening towards the ground. And again, Cliff is flying at above, like, we know it's over 100 miles per hour because, well, actually, I guess we don't because the engine is now already stalled out. But yep. he's flying in a plane at a very high velocity. Uh, and it's he is, his face 
his cheeks are rippling in the his oil covered face is rippling in the wind because he has no fucking glass in front of his face <laughs> and he's flying in a fuel. plane and he's, he's losing, losing fuel. fuel. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. just like the yeah. not it was a good place tense. to be in. No. So the the mobsters pull into this airplane hangar and just as as uh, as the driver Wilmer gets out to hide this the and stash this secret box, he calls to his wingman Lenny in the back, the guy with the Tommy gun, mm. and they realize Lenny is shot dead. Let's go, Lenny. We can't get caught with Lousy feds. Lousy feds. May may I just say, it's quite frankly adorable that Wilmer thought Lenny was going to be alive. He's (laughs) like, oh, Lenny, let's just, oh, right. All that gun firing. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And he's right. When do we think Lenny died? Did we think that that shot that Fitch took over the lap is actually what got him? Uh, I mean, definitely possible. We it must have been because the 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 G Man car was smashed into the trees like shortly thereafter. Yeah, so I think it was that final the lap shot is actually it 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 paid off. It happened in the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there, yeah, because we hear a little bit of the Tommy gun. So yes, it's it happened in the wood right prior to the crashing into the trees. Mm. One good shot. So you know, I take it back. Leaning over Wooly. <laughs> Maybe it can, yeah. You know, under I certain it, circumstances, if uh, if absolutely warranted. You my know, sincere it can... apologies to Fitch. You did the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think it's for our audience. This was a moment of clarity for me, and so things are just a bit clearer now. Basically, to recap, the mobsters were being pursued by the feds, by the cops, but also by the feds. And it's because they had this stolen box. This this possession was taken. With authorized only contents. We don't know what it is. This top secret device inside of a box. So now we're inside this airplane hangar. The mob's getaway driver, Wilmer, quickly hides the box in a plane's cockpit parked in the airfield, and then he drives off. Well, this is incredible. We got to break down yeah, this this move by yeah, Wilmer here. Come on, Chris. Chris, let me back. I'm you just up. trying to. I'm just trying to. Because we'll we'll hop into uh, great detail here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just sort of sure. broadly. Yeah, broad strokes. Uh, mobsters were being pursued by the feds. Uh, uh, Wilmer is gonna take this box here and stash it in a cockpit to and, and hide it and yep. try to get away. Yep. Yeah. And so Wilmer sees in the distance an oncoming car, and then we cut to Cliff in the sky, whose plane is just leaking, leaking smoke. Right. Yeah. Uh, does he see an oncoming car yet? I well, no. So first, yeah. So he's in the hangar after he oh, discovers yeah. Lenny. He um, he sees and the then. Yeah, he looks out and he sees that the cop car is actually, you know, caught up. That's caught, the one that... fr- freed itself from the trees and it's barreling uh, toward him in the hangar. And he's and he's immediately his mind snaps into action and he's glancing around the hangar. He's licking his lips and that mind. Lenny's got a got a pretty sharp mind. It turns out, and he's and his eyes matters. settle on. Not that it matters, what? but Wilmer kind of looks like Rick Astley. I just wanted to throw that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he does kind of like Rick Astley. <laughs> I always thought the first like five times I probably saw this movie, I thought that he was the guy from uh, something about Mary. Um, oh yes. Uh, you Very know, much the, so. the, um, the Talking like, Heads esque uh, figure. 
Oh, it's no, been no, a long no. time. I, so, no, I'm talking about uh, yes. Lee Lee Evans from something yes. about Mary. Yes. And um, sorry to derail you. So he's got the look. Wilmer's got a look in his eye. Yeah, and then he, his his eyes settle on this uh, this random vacuum cleaner that he sees on a on a workbench in the hangar. But then we cut back to to Cliff's plane. Let's go, Lenny. We can't get caught with. Lousy feds. Some main right. Now, boys, may I indulge you with a little bit of does it matter? Not entirely. But did I do the research? You're goddamn right I did. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's really fascinating. So, like, Lenny sees this vacuum cleaner and immediately takes a look at it. And I was kind of like, what an odd design of a vacuum cleaner. I was like, mm-hmm. did this vacuum cleaner exist? In thousands of new houses on Garden City estates, in modern flats and modest bungalows, the Hoover is moving mountains of dirt all day and every day. And not all of it comes from the carpets either. There are a hundred other places around the house where dust and dirt can lurk. And for this reason, Hoover Limited has invented a new device for attaching cleaning tools so that they can now be fixed in a few seconds. you can clean all those awkward places. That dust-catching gap between the carpet and the wall. Those dark depths down the back of the chairs. The lampshades you don't notice until you're sitting down at night. And most important of all, the picture rails. We're going to show you how much dirt can be found hiding on just a few feet of ordinary picture rail. We place a piece of muslin in the tube leading to the dust bag. And now watch. Not one housewife in a hundred realizes the amount of dirt that collects on a picture rail. What about this? I was like, it has the name Hoover written across it, which is obviously uh, a brand of um, a vacuum cleaner, which, uh, as it turns out, Hoover started in 1907. It was made by an inventor who worked nights as a janitor, had an asthma problem, and basically Mm. needed to solve his problem. And invented a bag that would suck up dust so that his asthma wouldn't be inflamed. Anyways, that's how Hoover started. I did look up uh, whether Hoover made this metallic unit, and technically it appears from my research of no. However, looking it up, honestly, there is a a bunch of uh, vacuum cleaners. 1930 Fillory Vacuum uh, was metallic and did kind of look like this. So did the Electrolux 1950s models that were actually um, very much uh, of this ilk. And I thought the funniest is that Electrolux 1950s model of metallic uh, vacuums, which looks far more like this, had the slogan, nothing sucks like an Electrolux. This is one of the first Electrolux vacuum cleaners ever made, celebrating more than 60 years in South Africa with us. And judging by its suction power, still going strong. But then it's an Electrolux, and nothing sucks like Electrolux. <laughs> really, which really reminds me of Wayne's World. When Wayne's they, World, this, yeah. the suck cut, the yeah. suck cut. Yeah. Okay, now is the time for Wayne's World. Totally amazing, excellent discoveries. Our guest is Ron Paxton. Welcome to Wayne's World, Ron. Thanks, Wayne. Now you're the inventor of the suck cut, right? 
What exactly is a suck cut? The suck cut is a revolution in home haircutting. <laughs> wow, what a totally amazing, excellent discovery. Well, yes. <laughs> now, Ron, the question that's on everybody's mind is, how does it work? I'm fully prepared to give a complete demonstration. Okay, okay, Garth, just sit there and he's gonna put that thing on your melon, okay? Just, just a trim, don't buzz me, all right? <laughs> It sucks as it cuts. <laughs> it certainly does suck. It's sucking my will to live. Wow, what a totally amazing, excellent discovery. Not. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> what does it do? Well, it sucks and it cuts. It certainly does suck. It certainly um, does suck. <laughs> so anyways, I did take the uh, time. As to... you can see, it sucks while it, it cuts. <laughs> it certainly does suck. Classic. So, oh, my God. Of, of note, though, oh this Hoover God. vacuum, as far as I can tell, didn't exist. However, there was a vacuum from 1930 that looked very similar. So I'm going to give uh, props to the filmmakers that, yeah. Uh, metal vacuum cleaners were definitely a thing in 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 society so uh, it's plausible uh, it's plausible that this thing existed at this time let's break down this stunt action sequence here on the on the uh runway yeah well first of all i love pv's line uh the understatement of the century where he stands up and sees cliff's plane just smoking and wobbling as it approaches <laughs> the runway and he just goes something ain't right something ain't right <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic line delivery. Also, like 1938, you're like, I love it. Like you're like, nah, yeah. it, it, probably something wrong. So we're back in the hangar. Wilmer slams the the big case shut with the vacuum cleaner inside it. Um, first, he still has the hose attached, so he rips that off so that it fits nicely in the box and stashes it in the back of the car, right on top of Dead Lenny. For which he does apologize, um, which I really love. Uh, yep. Great little touch there. And then he speeds away. Sorry, Lenny. Um, so now Cliff is trying to land this absolutely busted-ass plane of his. And on the runway, we have FBI agent Fitch, who has stepped out of his car and is firing at the gangster car, which is speeding right toward Cliff's plane on the runway that he is trying to land on. Uh, and at that point, we have an incredible duck and roll. <laughs> little uh, little survival um, instinct kicks in, and Wilmer says, my best shot here is to bail the fuck out, yep. and uh, opens the door and eats not, some not dirt. Not a real quote from the movie, but mentally, you know Wilmer's like, yeah. I gotta get out of here and does Peace. the old tuck and roll. I gotta, we, I gotta go. You know, uh, you know, we all like to believe a if danger comes if I do the tuck and roll. Arguably, a dirt path is your best path to. You could maybe survive this. Yeah, and he does it pretty gracefully. I gotta Very. say, he, you know, Dude, whoever they, the stunt guy is, you know, whoever they, the stunt guy is actually did this, and my god, the crap yeah. they would do. How it. fast was he driving? gotta be like i mean he looks like he's driving uh, like this feels like a math problem that's from sats being like a crook is driving 35 miles an hour <laughs> with a bunch of bullet holes in the back 
an oily truck is driving. An look oily his, plane is coming in. Look at his in. body. I mean, when he he bounces. Yeah, yeah he's he does two bounces. full revo- revolutions. Yes. His body does two full revolutions in the dirt at a very high speed. Like we're talking severely broken bones. Yeah. And yeah. meanwhile, so the body uh, is rolling into a ditch, and it cuts back to Cliff's plane. It colliding a bit into uh, Wilmer's car, and at the that, fucking one of the wheels of the, of wheels, the landing gear I mean, rips oh. off the top of the car. So seven twenty nine. You guys need to go through this frame by frame. I mean, like the we just have to track down someone who was on the crew, like the camera crew, because this like, is not a model. I just need to know. I just need to know how they executed this shot because so cliff's plane is maybe 15 feet off the ground and one of the two um wheels of of the plane which are on these little legs collides with the now abandoned car that was being driven by wilmer and is just sort of roguely like driving down the uh and so one of the one of the legs and wheels of the plane gets clipped off, and so now as it's as it's passing by, Cliff's plane now is careening into the ground on one leg, yeah. and it slams onto its belly, right onto the dirt. Sparks flying everywhere. Yeah, sparks flying everywhere, and you know at this point Cliff is hoping to be staying alive. <laughs> With that BG. Oh, Boy, that's the last time I get to do it, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's staying alive. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and then, Chris, what happens next? Wilmer's Model 40 goes headfirst into a gas truck. Oh. And this, there's, there's just an enormous explosion here. I mean, just huge pyrotechnics. Yes. Um, I love when a gas truck just happens to be parked nearby. Uh, I mean, and like, (laughs) this scene is already so good, and like, I have as much action as I need, and yet they're like, let's put a gas truck down there. Yeah, it is just the perfect little button exclamation point. We are at the seven minute mark of this film. (laughs) Yeah. Like, there have been so, like, the whole. From the jump, there has been such high stakes drama. Like, if you are a young child at this film, you are mm. like wide eyed at all of the all the pyrotechnics and all the choreography and yes. the, the the flying in the sky and the guns being shot and their car crashes. It's it is riveting. It's riveting. Yeah. It and is riveting. I actually find it fundamentally bizarre. That the criticisms at the time of this movie, it was a, it was too slow, not enough action. What? I'm like, yes, wow. like the people criticize this movie for not being action packed enough, and I'm like, what movie did you watch? Because I mean, they watched Terminator Two, which is yeah. hard to compare with, like literally for my money, the greatest action movie of all time. This is true. It just it just um, this came out at a really bizarre moment. Yeah, and T two is like so modern. Yes, nineteen ninety one, L A. Like cool kids on dirt bikes. Like yes, all this this shit that I like. This is like an oil painting. Yeah, this is an oil painting about like explosions and high stakes. Like, but it's the thirties. It's like my grandma and grandpa. Like, why? Like, I shouldn't have 
actually been into this movie because yeah. I didn't give a shit about the 1930s or World War II, World, yeah, World War II. like all that Good stuff one. was like boomer shit even when I was with guns yeah I wanted neon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or wrestlers or cyborgs with like glowing eyes uh or you know, like uh, zombies or something. And like this was I'm, like I'm Ben's cousin. I can confirm all this is true. Yes, yes. <laughs> he was drinking uh, absolutely. Mountain Dews, and we were <laughs> playing NBA Jam. Yeah. We didn't care about them World War One and Two problems. Give us yeah. the latest WWF match. <laughs> we didn't care. I'm so proud of my grandson. He just did a raging 100 foot vertical. Oh, that's nothing. My Daniel caught some wicked air. Bogus. My Billy ripped a white water free fall. Well, my Thomas does the do. Oh! Nothing more intense than slamming Mountain Dew. You must be very proud. And yet, because of the craft and the care of the oh. film, like I was sucked into it so hard and loved it, even though I didn't like have any. You and know, sort of uh, like uh, uh, what's the word? Like you know, I wasn't primed for it in any way whatsoever. No. Like I wasn't, I wasn't like an aviation guy. I don't give a fuck about planes. No, like who cares? sure, I like made a couple models, but like you know, when I was like a little kid, and I was kind of like, oh, this is kind of like hokey. Like yeah, it's cool, but like it wasn't like the video games I was playing. Yeah, and like the gas truck blows up, and you're like, oh my god, it's taking me even higher than I thought I could go. And then you're like, oh, thank God. Cliff's plane has come to a screeching halt and miraculously the whole thing hasn't gone up in an explosion. But what is happening is that his burning oily plane that he yeah, is which is basically, basically just a fuselage, a fuselage that he is essentially screwed and welded into is. Yeah, he can't get his canopy off. He needs the help of his of his buddies to even get him free from this, you know, burning tomb that he's locked in. He's soaked in oil like yeah. he's. A, a powder keg ready to go off. Like yeah. he and the plane is in, on fire on currently fire. in in flames. And he flames is, spitting out of the front of the plane. And who sweeps in? But Dad, PV. That's the end of that, says PV. And, you know, distraught, he starts chewing out who we now realize are undercover agents. Whoa, slow way down, Chris. Way, 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 way down. (laughs) No, no, no. What happens before that uh, is that, yes, Cliff hops out. This thing is a wreckage. This thing's going to explode any second. It could go any second, but what does he do, Ben? He turns around, and despite the protestations of the of the boys around him, he rushes back into the flaming wreckage to grab the picture of his girl, Jenny. The photo and, of Jenny off his little you know instrument panel, and doesn't um, that in seven? We're not even eight minutes into the movie. 
doesn't yeah. that tell you everything about these characters? And it hasn't yeah. really told me anything he hasn't said, about these characters. He hasn't said a single word about this woman, but we know from just that, we know exactly how, how he feels we about her. We know exactly. And <laughs> folks, oh my God. It is storytelling in a masterful way that people are forgetting. Sometimes yeah. you can just visually explain something without having to have characters be like, I love Jenny so much. She's my world. Like the fact that he does this says it more than if he told me why she makes his heart flutter. Like it doesn't matter. Like he ran back to a about to explode plane to get the only photo he basically has of her. Oh, I yeah. love it so much. Eight, eight minutes and one second. We have Billy <sighs> Campbell with, an all-time neck grab and ripping off oh, yeah. his, his yes. helmet. He is so I frustrated. Love, I love the way. The fire, the passion. Helmets. Yeah. Yeah. And also, what a cool-ass coat that's totally wrecked by oil. Like, I like, know. That is a slick leather jacket that, you know, it's a cool jacket. And we're going to find out that he has an even cooler leather jacket in his possession. Uh, but his, Yeah, we need to talk about. Bomber jacket is a lovely tan zippers that are perfect. Mm, I want that coat. That coat is so dope and it looks even cooler somehow with the entire, you know, top third of it covered in a slick, greasy black oil. And Billy's face is, is all, you know, uh, covered in oil. There's like a, the faint outline of his goggles, but even like under, under that it's, it's like perfectly smudged and streaked and somehow his hair Still, all right. So, speaking of uh, hearts fluttering, <laughs> here we oh go. Boy. Here we go, folks. <laughs> we you haven't, we haven't, we folks. haven't really fully delved into this, and I don't, you know, I don't want to. This is where Kate turns off the podcast, <laughs> as if she listens. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if I can set this up because this is gonna, we're gonna have to have this conversation at some, at some point. Uh, so we're, I might as well get into it now at, at 107 uh, in the morning, my time. <laughs> Um, because we're going to be talking about uh, about Cliff and about Jenny Blake um, and about the actors portraying these characters, um, and frankly, it it simply like would not be an honest podcast um, if if at some point I didn't talk about you know my feelings uh, for for these characters and and for these people. Um, and I'm going to see if I can frame this in a certain way. Um, so we're going to, at some point, we're going to do a, a much deeper dive into um, the creator of The Rocketeer, uh, comic book artist Dave Stevens. Um, but just to, to, to briefly like set it up, the, the two things that Dave Stevens was really famous for, um, one of which I think Christian touched on briefly in a previous episode was uh, just how meticulous and 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 uh, and almost OCD level, you know, painstaking he was with with making his artwork. Uh, and the other thing that he was famous for was his horniness. Yeah, um, I think I was like, if you if this is not about his horniness, I'm gonna yeah. have to stop you. <laughs> yeah, Dave Stevens was an incredibly horny man, and uh, there was nothing that he loved more than drawing the female figure, uh, specifically, and capturing the female essence um, through his art. Um, now, there is a documentary about the life of Dave Stevens called Dave Stevens Drawn to Perfection, uh, which Christian uh, very helpfully uh, pointed me toward. 
It's a fantastic documentary. Um, uh, it's yeah, it's it's really phenomenally done. Uh, gets into his whole life, um, which tragically ended at a very young age in um, I think 2007. Is that when he died? Of, uh, 2008. Uh, 2008 of leukemia. Yeah. Um, but um, but uh, on the topic of, of his horniness and uh, you know his 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 favorite uh, subject and his muse, um, there's I want to see if I can frame what you know what I'm sort of going to try to explain uh, by setting it up the way that some people in this documentary talked about um, Dave Stevens and his artwork. Um, so at around uh, one hour five minutes forty five seconds of the documentary. Uh, Dave Stevens, Drawn to Perfection. We have um, a, a soundbite from a friend of Dave's uh, model uh, named Rebecca Smith. And she said, There's definitely artists out there who draw women in a way that can objectify. But I think that there's a beauty in Dave's drawings. And then the writer, Jesse Horsting, uh, chimes in, quote, Let's not be coy about it, you know? He liked tits and ass and nakedness. And then the writer and historian Mark Avanier said, The key, I think, is he captured more than the surface. He captured the spark in their eyes. Which, like, when I heard that, kind of gave me chills. And then uh, another artist, Maria Laura San- Sanapo, or Sanapo, said, I try always to portray women sexy, but of course in a respectful way. Dave did this very, very well. And then the actor, Thomas Jane... Yes, yes, that Thomas, Thomas Jane, Jane. <laughs> the Punisher, uh, Boogie Nights, um, Albert Pune's nemesis. Yes, that Thomas Jane said. Did he play Mickey Mantle? Uh, yes, he, he did Mickey play Mickey Mantle, Mantle in '61. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not that this has anything to do with anything, but in this Talking Head documentary scene, is smoking a pipe for no reason. And yes, while stroking a cat, a pet yes, cat. It's incredible. Um, yeah, uh, Thomas Jane, who I guess was a friend of Dave Stevens before he died, said, "Quote." As a woman, who the hell wouldn't want to be drawn by Dave Stevens? My God. Which he's and right. Then I the, mean, the artwork yeah. is, the artwork, when you truly look at it, is incredible. Yeah. And then, sorry, there's just one, a couple more quotes. Uh, friend and owner of Graffiti Designs um, uh, uh, said, um, there's a playfulness, there's an artistic beauty to it, and a balance. Um, and then... Oh, and then the, finally, this guy, Scott Dunbier, who was a uh, director for a comic book uh, publisher, IDW, um, said, there's one cover in particular to me that really stands out. It's a self-portrait with Dave, very cartoony of him, and then just a gorgeous drawing of an exotic dancer. I think that really shows how much he respected and loved the female form. Um, so that's all to say, when I talk about um, just the way that Billy Campbell and Jennifer Connelly, when we get to her, uh, look in this movie, I want to try to be like Dave Stevens and be horny. Yes, because like I have to be, I I, I can't, I can't, it would be a completely fraudulent and, and phony podcast if I didn't acknowledge that. Got to acknowledge. But to me, it's, it's, there's something so much deeper and, and more essential in the feelings that I have for these people when I watch them as a young kid and still when I watch them to, the, to, to this day um, just the way this guy, I mean right now we're, we're looking at, at Billy Campbell in this you know, leather uh, oil streaked leather jacket and his, but his hair, 
even though it just came from underneath a you know strapped on tightly Perfectly leather helmet. Quality. Perfectly cool. So fucking cool. Blowing in the wind, covered in grease and oil, but still just like the per- like it just I like saw it as a kid and I was like, why can't my hair yeah, do that? Oh boy, like, my curly that is, curly New England hair was never oh, doing this. God, it was always like my bushy bowl cut yeah. was just like never <laughs> ever in my life gonna look that cool. And I, um, I to, yeah, to reiterate what you're kind of saying, and I think that's interesting about this movie too, is because it is a Disney PG movie. Dave mm-hmm. Stevens is his comic strips were very horny, and oh yeah, I, we'll talk about the we're going to talk about these. However, the comic this and the movie. movie achieves something with Billy Campbell and Jennifer Connelly in particular that's like it's forties level sexy with both of them. Like right now, Billy Campbell looks like great, and you're like, oh, if he had to like get totally like stripped off to get all his oil off him, he'd probably have a full long johns underneath him. Like it's the kind of like. The, yeah. the implied is like there's clothes underneath the clothes underneath the clothes like everyone's covered up and yet looking spectacular throughout this movie Jennifer yeah. Connelly looks spectacular Billy Campbell spectacular like it's it's extremely it's wholesome extremely wholesome it, horniness that Dave Stevens yeah. created <laughs> and it yeah. also drives this film in a way that I Chris you've never seen this movie before did any of this register with you an adult man or was this only yeah. okay? Oh, thank God, Chris. Tell us. Okay. Tell us what your feeling. I'm not the only f- freak and weirdo on this podcast. Yeah, we, I think we we gotta <laughs> let the guy who hasn't actually seen this movie explain what his feelings were on this. Yeah, I just fe- I just felt that there was like a real conscious choice to make the leading man and the leading lady like objectively beautiful. You know, they're like really pretty people. Um, but also very classically beautiful and like classically not like it never was it it, it wasn't like they were like presented in a risque sort of way right very like classic and like wholesome but it was just sort of like oh this is like a classic american boy this is a classic american young woman and um they look beautiful together and they look like movie movie stars together and insert Tom Petty's American girl uh, right <laughs> there, my friend. Uh, <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. I, I think that they are again, like I just keep, it's a very much a Norman Rockwell to me, like Billy Campbell, yeah. even in this scene where he's so drenched in oil, look at his eyes. Look at the, there's something, the, 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 again, like Dave Stevens, you were mentioning that line that the artist said, the way he captures the soul of a person in their eyes. Look at Billy Campbell's eyes when he's looking at the wreckage of his dreams going up in smoke. Like, mm-hmm. it's not said, but I see it all there. So we have PV here uh, on the runway, and he's chewing out the undercover agents with the FBI. Uh, get it out of here. Across our runway, crash into my pilot, and it's our fault. Look, no offense, pops, but uh, we got more important things to do than get all sweaty about whose fault it was. Listen here, buddy, building that plane took three years of our lives and every damn cent we had. Oh, fine, a clamming Uncle Sam. Who knows? You could get a lot. Yeah, and what? Wait six months? A year? We we made a living with that plane. Well, maybe it's time to get a real job. He says, you chase a couple of two-bit crooks across our runway, crash into my pilot, and at, and it's our fault. And the, and the feds are, you know, trying to brush him off. They're trying to brush off Cliff, saying, you know, file a claim for damages with Uncle Sam. 
But who knows how long that's going to take? Yeah, they're so dismissive. They they say we got we got more important things to do than get all sweaty about whose fault it was. They're so like you guys are are you know small potatoes. Like we don't we don't need to waste our time with you. And Cliff is totally furious. He says to one of the agents, "We made a living with that plane." To which one of the feds say, "Well, maybe it's time to find a real job." Wow. Yeah. How insulting. That cuts deep. Yeah. We made a living with that plane. Well, maybe it's time to get a real job. Yeah, this cuts real deep, and it gave me a big thought here, but I'll get to that in a sec. So, Cliff, I've got some big thoughts too on that. Yeah. He socks one of the agents in the face. The feds return a punch. To, to just be like, you know what? I'm going to fucking punch an FBI agent as hard as I, I mean, can in the are, face. <laughs> these guys are cowboys of the sky. Yeah. I mean, that that's really what Cliff yeah. is. Oh, you know? my God. And I love him. You're talking about the hair blowing in the wind, the grease. Like, as if like, I he, couldn't be any more turned on, he just <laughs> winds up and punches an FBI agent square in the but face. he's all in at but this point. For insulting him. He's, he's not thinking about who this is. He's just like... Oh, it's a knee-jerk reaction, yeah. babies. Yeah. Yeah. My big thought here was like, I think one of the reasons this movie really resonates with kids and with adults, but really with kids, is the idea, and it's captured in the music, is that the lead character, Cliff, the hero of the movie, is essentially an adult with the spirit of a child. Yeah. Love that. And we're rooting, we are rooting for someone that isn't a stiff. We're rooting for someone who is pursuing adventure and a life of fun and he's optimistic and it's it's all it's this is the whole this is the same conversation we were having with about the music right Mm -hmm. it's like the the music is the essence of cliff's soul right it's like it's wide-eyed and hopeful and ambitious and 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 wants to like discover what's out in the universe and wants to discover what's possible and we'll eventually you know get into a bigger discussion about the jetpack and and all that stuff but it, that's that's who this guy is and that's what his life is is a, is is about as a pilot it's it's about racing and basically being a performer and he is someone that tickles our fancy he he tickles our imagination and as a as an audience we love this guy and we're rooting for him and so when this fbi agent says you know get a real job it's like an affront to us, the audience, oh, to be like, how, fuck how you, dare man. you? How dare you? Yeah. you? This man literally just got shot out of the sky, survived an incredible cl- crash, uh, escaped an explosion, obviously did the manliest thing conceivable, and he's being told flippantly that is that of the life of a child. And I agree. I yeah. Think it, it's, um, yeah, as a child, I was like, it makes you hate the feds. You're immediately like, I hate the feds. <laughs> yeah, the feds are grownups. The feds are fucking squares. boring ass grownups and they're squares and they're stiffs. And like, yeah, when you th- when you talk about like, you know, the the wonder and the ambition and the and the awe of, you know, what, what Cliff is trying to do and what Peavy's trying to do with him, it is a very childish notion. You know, you are it's a it's a you know, a flight of fancy. It's it's like 
you know, a dream, which like you're supposed to put away at a certain point, right? Grow up and, and realize like, well, dreams are just stuff you dream as a kid. Like you don't actually grow up and achieve those things because eventually right. you have to get a real job and pay your mortgage and fucking, you know, blah, blah, like, blah. Kids get and, like, to dream. Adults don't get to dream. I, yeah. And, and I think deep down, Cliff actually has a lot of insecurity about all this because the way he reacts so like um you know kind of just uh uh volatile yeah knee jerk um you know without even uh you know just spontaneous i'm gonna fuck you i'm gonna punch you in the face it's because deep down cliff does kind of wonder like shit am i doing the right thing with my life like i i don't i i do feel like a nobody i do like you know i'm trying to chase this dream but i haven't won shit yet i haven't gotten to nationals and we, you know, we I find out later uh, most of the time to make money, he's doing these like silly, like clown routines and he feels completely inadequate and, and he's very sensitive about being exposed, uh, for, you know, kind of just being like a, a, a failure and a dreamer and he's trying to prove to himself and, you know, his girl and, and the world that his dream has like value and that, you know, what he's pouring his heart and soul into is important and, uh, and, and in fact, uh, you know, what a grown up should pursue, not like some childish, you know, foolish endeavor. And uh, I, I don't know. And- I also think that this line, there's three lines here that arguably have so much impact that speak to something else that's going on in America at this moment, which is again, it's 1938. This is like the tail end of the Great Depression, but the Great Depression is still going. People are struggling to put food on their table. Any way to earn a dime mattered in this moment. And Fitch, a federal agent, tells a hardworking American who just had his whole, uh, like his whole, um, you know, system in which he could earn money explode in front of him because the feds were so recklessly doing their job. Fitch says Mm -hmm. specifically, hey, so file your gripe with Uncle Sam. Who knows? You could get lucky. And I think the key words here are mm. file your gripe. Like he's flippantly saying that this obvious uh, federal destruction of his property is merely a gripe. Then on top of mm-hmm. that, he's saying, who knows? You could get lucky. Basically admitting the whole federal government is not meant for you. Government it's, is the problem. Well, it's not, okay, it's, it's, folks. Yes, that's the takeaway. Regulations <laughs> and government are the problem. Self-reliance. Ronald Reagan taught us. The president of the United States. I started out as a Democrat when it seemed like they wanted to help the average person and cut the bureaucracy. It's never easy to change, but each of us must be true to our beliefs. I believe in more opportunity for people, not higher taxes for government. And inflation must be kept down. When you think of what's at stake, voting for what you believe isn't so hard after all. President Reagan leadership that's working there is something to be said about this american uh sentiment that this the federal government in this moment is basically saying admitting openly haha if you file a claim good luck even getting anyone to care because we yeah we're not gonna we're not here to help you. you it is you yeah. are but mere pawns in this game that is democracy yeah. and i think like Maybe I'm putting too much stakes. Like the whole thing is designed it's to designed fail. Like it's designed to not help the cliffs and the peavies yeah. of the world. And that yeah. the the dismissiveness of how these people are perceived is, is what I find that this little exchange is like, 
God damn, this movie's great. I mean, it's just, yeah. again, great story. And the fact that this scene, yeah, it's such good storytelling. And this scene also lays the groundwork for later on in the movie. Um, no spoilers, but when Cliff and Jenny are on their date in, in the cafe, he's overly sensitive about feeling important and about his, you know, his his pursuits feeling, you know, valued. And because he's, you know, really raw right now after this whole exchange with uh, with, with FBI agent Fitch, you know? Yep. So it makes perfect sense, the kind of, you know, reaction that he gives Jenny later on on their date. Um, again, just like brilliant writing and, and storytelling. And what a boffo, just like, and I know their scene continues, but to me, this is the moment where like the opening act feels complete. Like, I know there is technically the story. Mm -hmm. that even this opening sequence has a few more scenes after it. But when I originally saw this, this is where I wrote, oh, end of cold open opening act one, whatever. Like, I feel like all the stakes at this point have just been set up. And yes, there's some additional information that's about to come out. But I just think like everything has been set up in eight minutes of why this movie, what we care about, the characters, how they feel about one another, stakes of what this item in this mystery package how it's going to affect all of them it's just all beautifully woven in this moment yeah you have to be willing to rewatch a movie 